Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode 21. 20 mother freaking one. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's Labor Day weekend. Oh, it is Labor Day weekend. I wish we'd gone somewhere. <laughs> I know. We're really lame. And no one's in the city. I'm really craving going to Colombia. I've been watching this TV show Narcos <laughs> about Pablo Escobar. Yeah. And Colombia just looks like the most beautiful country ever. But what's ironic about you wanting to go to Colombia by watching Narcos is it's all about these drug cartels and well, killing people and it's like <laughs> it's not i mean it does look beautiful but it's when is it set the i think 1980s? it's set during yeah the the early 80s maybe the late 70s it's during just beginning of the war on drugs but i mean columbia just looks like a south american version of switzerland just like beautiful rolling mountains everything is green everything is an amazing view speaking of switzerland we went into nespresso this Nespresso story yesterday, because on the outside it had all of these advertisements like cold, ice cold Nespresso, ice coffee Nespresso. Nespresso is like the Swiss version of Keurig. They make like little pods and they make like a machine to use. And it's really good them. coffee, but it's only hot coffee. So then we have to make it into iced coffee. So I was like, yay, there's iced coffee pods that are specifically meant to mix with water. And so we went in and we're like, where are the um, iced coffee pods? And they were like, oh, those are just the normal pods. You can use any pod to make iced coffee. You just pour it over ice. (laughs) And I was like, "Um, I know how to make iced coffee. But thanks, Nespresso. Oh, yeah. Doesn't sound sound (laughs) like we had the most exciting Labor Day weekend ever. All you listeners are jealous. We did see a show, though. We did see a show. It's called The Bad Ears by Kate Kerrigan and Brian Loudermilk, who are a contemporary musical theater writing team that I've been following since I was in college. I really wanted to see it. I've yet to see a full length show of theirs. Lindsay pitched this to me as a <laughs> immersive musical in a warehouse right next to the House of Yes. Yes, I was like, we should go. It's literally a block away from the House of Yes. I love their music. I've never seen a full show it's immersive. Let's see what it is. Um, I'm not sure if it worked. Not And not even necessarily because of any of the conventional reasons shows don't work. Like the book isn't there, or the lyrics isn't there, or the music's not there, or the performances are bad. But because it was just incredibly difficult to watch. It was so hard to watch. It was, it was so hard to understand. It was basically if anyone's seen Sleep No More... Or any of the shows that are like Sleep No More, where it's room by room by room. And you can, as an audience member, choose your journey and kind of explore. That was the idea of it. It was a house party. And I know some of the songs that are under this title of The Bad Years, I think. And they're really good songs. But what happened was, because it was all these different people going in every different room and the actors were they probably allowed too many people in first place yeah they allowed i think the audience was too big and the cast members the their tracks were so fast that you couldn't even catch anything and then there were maybe two or three songs happening at one time different songs so you couldn't even appreciate the one song that you were actually listening to 
Because um, you're the other two in the background. Yeah, the other two in the back. I think like part of why a musical works is because you can follow the story and connect to it through the music. And when you don't know the story, you can't follow the story. It doesn't work. But Sleep No More works and Then She Fell works because you don't need to know. There's no talking. You know, you don't need to hear the story. You see it. And I think that's the biggest problem. And the idea of an immersive musical in a warehouse that's like a party with solo cups and all this stuff is cool. It's a really cool idea. But it, the way in which they executed it, I didn't think worked. I agree. I mean, I, I was really impressed by what they were going for, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is a cool idea. I want to see a musical where I have to walk around and follow these characters. But like you sort of mentioned, in Sleep No More, you it's not really important that you know who these characters are. Like, it's more atmospheric. It's more pick your own adventure. And this, you'd hear like two lines of somebody about how they're just being dumped at this party and then they'd run past you into another room and you wouldn't be able to follow them because there were 10 other people in front of you. And because the form is so much about storytelling, uh, it just didn't seem to lend itself very well to a standing, running around, multi-room kind of immersive experience. And also for someone who gets anxiety with a lot of people in a hot space, (laughs) it was my nightmare. Yeah, it could have worked on the air conditioner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I, I feel like... I, I understand a way in which that show works. So hopefully I can help. I don't know. I still like, I yeah, love give, music. Give Lindsay a call. <laughs> She'll help you fix that one. I love, I mean, yeah, their music's just so good. We also did some pillow tests. Did some pillow fight testing where I hit you in the face with a zipper a few times. So the opening My scene dad. of Slumber, our upcoming show at the House of Yes, October 6th to November 6th in Brooklyn. The opening scene is this over-the-top pillow fight between six girls. And it's sort of a dream sequence. And it's part dance, part aerial number. And we have some pretty sweet exploding pillows in it that we <laughs> needed to test test this week. So we went to Weston. My mom is a prop designer extraordinaire in Connecticut. And she helped us source some pillows, figure out how to make them explode. Go check out our Instagram to see me getting slammed in the face. What you don't see is the seven or eight takes where Lindsay hits me in the face with the zipper end. And I'm just all angry because I've been slammed in the face with the zipper. I, I really did feel bad, but there was something about it that was like really therapeutic to, to hit you in the face with the zipper. Yeah, the pillows were fun because... Depending on the way you swing the pillow, either all of the confetti falls out immediately <laughs> or it goes in the direction you want it to. But it was really hard. It was really hard to to swing it in the way in which it looks like you're really swinging a pillow, but also to make the confetti work. And my mom introduced these two new terms to me that I didn't know, but maybe those in the theater and more familiar with heavy, heavy prop shows know. There are two kinds of props. There are hand props and set props. And hand props are props that you you walk in with in your hand, and set props are props that are set there, set on the scene prior to the actors walking on stage. So yeah, <laughs> come to our show, see our set and hand pillow props, <laughs> see them explode. <laughs> Tickets are available on our website at hideawaycircus.com. If you want to get some more behind the scenes info. You can subscribe to our emailing list. We send out an email every Friday. It's got not only behind-the-scenes stuff from Slumber, but also all of the circus news from the week, different reviews of other shows, discount codes for our shows. We have discount code up for Cirque du Soleil right now, so go check that out. Also, our Instagram is blowing up these days. Lindsay is crushing it on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah. At Hideaway Circus. Uh, Hideaway Circus. 
Facebook follow us, tweet us, Instagram us, get in touch. At hello at hideawaycircus.com. Call me, beat me, if you want to page me, if you want to page me, it's okay. Do you want to talk about our guest this week? Yeah, sure. Jessica Hentoff. The one and only. Jessica Hentoff is originally from New York City. She started her circus career as a circus performer, but fairly quickly became introduced to circus education, particularly with young young kids and how that can change one's life. And through Circus Flora. And through Circus, I mean, part you'll hear her journey as it goes Circus Flora. She ends up in St. Louis, starts Circus Harmony, which is an amazing youth circus nonprofit organization that takes disadvantaged kids uh, around St. Louis and teaches them circus skills and confidence and just general uh, life skills. And many of the circus performers have gone on to perform amazing places today, but it's a very similar kind of organization, I would say, to Circus Americas, which is based in Vermont, which is, you know, close to my heart. And many of these programs I just find fascinating because not only are they staples now of what American circus is because they have performing sides to them, but they're also like the main training grounds for the next generation of circus. Yeah, that seems to be a common theme with people, basically for youth circus the best thing that you can give them is performance time. And that's like where you really learn how to grow your confidence and like own the stage and own yourself. And and one thing that I was really inspired by with Jessica was her love of teaching kids and instilling this confidence and and life lessons in them. Yeah, I mean, usually we don't have much trouble getting our guests to talk about themselves, but Jessica kept wanting to talk about her students. <laughs> students. So you'll hear us you'll steer her back to her life a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. But I think if you're interested in social circus, teaching circus, uh, circus that's not just in New York, Jessica is going to be a fantastic guest for you to listen to. Uh, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Jessica Hentoff. But you weren't involved in circus when you were really young or worried. No, 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 not till college. You were born Purchase, in... Purchase, right? Is that what you like? Purchase. But you were born in New York City? Upper West Side, and then I lived... Do you know who Karen Gersh is? I don't know who Karen Gersh is. Um, she was my circus partner. She has does beautiful circus art and has a company called Acrobrats and just moved out of the loft that we lived in since the beginning of Big Apple down on the Bowery. But now she has a beautiful place in upstate New York. And Oh, that's nice. Did you, yeah. did you see circus shows when you were younger? I did. My dad always took me to Ring Ring. Always, always. Like, even I remember the sideshows. When they were down in the basement of Ringling. In the basement, they put them in the basement of an yeah. arena? Yeah, so Madison Square Garden, you'd go in and you'd go downstairs and there would be the menagerie. You could walk through and see all the animals and the sideshow. Wow. And so they'd have sideshow stuff like the fat lady and the bearded lady and also glass blowers and fire eaters and all that. But that was a while ago. And did it occur to you at that time when you were a kid? No, that- I just always went to the circus. That's something he always took us to. And no, not until college. What was your experience with circus in college? So when I went to college, I I had a really cool, amazing for a teenager job at Warner Brothers Records. My job was to read every newspaper from all over the country that or all over the world that was in English and cut out the articles on Warner Brothers artists and send them to the top executives, pick the best stories. And I could go to any concert I wanted and got... (laughs) free tickets and it was an amazing job and I went away for a month before going to college and they gave the job to somebody's sister when I came back so I was supposed to come in two days a week from purchase I didn't have a job so I like to fill my time even then I'm going Tuesday and Thursday what can I take what can I take and they had action education not physical education and circus was an option this is uh, SUNY purchase is where you went to school 
So what kind of circus classes or action classes were you taking? So I, the action ed was instead of phys ed, and I signed up for basic circus. And the first teacher there was Warren Adams Bacon, who we later became aerial partners, and he, it's a, a more convoluted story, but he taught everything. Juggling, trapeze, trampoline, teeterboard, wire walking, unicycling, really everything. Wow. I fell in love right away and started doing research on circus and would read anything I could and wrote to 75 different circuses looking for a summer job. You know, I'll do anything, I'll clean up after the elephants, anything. Nobody wrote me back except one. And it was a Methodist youth circus. And he wrote to me because it was before Is the Is it Circus age. Kingdom? Yes. You've done your research. I have done a little because bit of research. Because very few people have heard of the Circus Kingdom, although it was this incredibly cool organization. He wrote me and I ignored him because he it was he's a Methodist reverend and I'm a Jewish kid. And he called me going, why didn't you answer me? And I'm, because I'm Jewish. He's like, that's great. Because his image was to bring not just kids from all over, and he went as far as Wenatchee, Washington, but also different races, religions, and he wanted, as a Methodist reverend, to show the kingdom of man through circus arts. Mm. So the shows had a message of it's the brotherhood of man, and wherever we went, we would do paid shows, but we would also do shows for people who couldn't come to us, senior citizens' homes, prisons, um, homes for the mentally ill. Were you performing in those shows? I did clown juggling and uh, fire eating, because the first year their fire eater was leaving, and they asked for a volunteer, and my partner volunteered us. (laughs) (laughs) She's now a cloistered nun, which had nothing to do with fire eating. (laughs) And I'm still in touch with people that I met from the Circus Kingdom who live in Illinois and L.A., and very few of them went on to circus. Was there a religious aspect to the show? No, more the Brotherhood of Man aspect, and although when we were in a town, we very often stayed in churches, slept mm. on the floor in the fellowship hall, so we, I went to more church that summer than I obviously ever had in my life. But no, it wasn't, it wasn't pushing Christianity. It was pushing getting along. And what happened after Circus Kingdom? So I kept researching circus, doing more circus, and I went to a show in New York called the Piccolo Circus. And it was Karen Gersh, Don Jordan, who eventually uh, was a director for Pickle Family for a show or two, and Peter Kaneen, who I know he was a massage therapist, then I don't know what happened. But it was three people in this show, and it was amazing. It was funny. It was, it was skilled. It was really enjoyable. And I became friends with them, and Karen had a loft down on 17th Street. And people would just get together there and juggle and try things and... She came across Nina and Gregory, Nina Krasavin and Gregory Fedin, when she saw an article on them in the New York Times that they were refugees and had been in circus in Russia at the same time that, and I'm skipping a couple of years, that Big Apple Circus was starting. So I was in college. I did the Circus Kingdom for two years. Got together with Karen and this girl, Claudia, who had come, who was from my college and had come to Circus Kingdom. We formed a three-person troupe called Triploppy, which is in Carl Heinz Ethan's 100-Year History of Juggling, which I love to point out to my son, Kellen Quinn, 
who is one of the top 40 international jugglers in the world for the past three years, that I am in the history of juggling. How did you guys come up with a name for that troupe? Triploppy is a word for seeing things in triplicate. Oh. oh. And we did juggling and fire eating and some acrobatics and clowning. Was there something that like specific about circus as a discipline or an art form that was appealing to you that you weren't getting from other things? That's an interesting question. One of my heroes growing up literally had been Peter Pan. Hmm. And the whole, I hate to use the word fantasy because it has other connotations, even for storytelling, but it's so magical and yet it's real. So the whole defying gravity and other limitations. And, and this is why I think circus appeals to so many people. It's archetypical to be a superhuman and to fly and to talk to animals and to be able to control objects. Who doesn't love that? And I really loved the communicating with animals and having a, a deep working partnership with animals part of circus. And I also was stunned when I started taking classes. I can do this. Growing up as a kid in New York, you don't think of that as something you can do. I grew up on the Upper West Side. I could not climb a tree till I was 10. I could swim, but I couldn't go up. And I, I remember in Riverside Park, Julia Mello shoving me up a tree from behind. <laughs> so it's not that I wasn't a physical kid, but you don't have those opportunities. And then all of a sudden I was juggling and swinging on a trapeze and hanging by my ankles. And it was exhilarating mm -hmm. to have it's an empowering art form and so after circus kingdom we formed this troupe and started performing around the st louis area we performed at great adventure amusement park which oh, is yeah, now six there. flags so when we were there we were street entertainers we could do whatever we wanted and we were also <laughs> with my boyfriend at the time john Kahn, who was a still walker and a mad mad insane unicyclist and the other street performers were Michael Motion and Penn Gillette, who were a duo. And Michael worked his wow, walnuts, the clown. I would have loved to see that duo. <laughs> so, and their name was the Temescos. Look up the Latin root for that. Because I'm going to stay family friendly here. But they, they did a juggling act, and Michael was Walnuts the Clown. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. So this was obviously a long time ago in circus history. And then... We, in 76, went to Montreal and did street performing and also got a job in San Diego, Triploppy and John Kahn, and Schlepp built this beautiful motorhome with a, a house with a peaked roof and a front porch and a rocking chair, John built. And we went and worked in San Diego and we went to the IJA Festival, which was in LA in 76. And Michael stayed up in Montreal and made a, a killing performing on the street. Um, and now it's funny to go up there and I have biological and other children, students, who are living in Montreal. And I'm sure they get very tired of me saying, I perform fast. <laughs> How old are your children? My biologicals are 19, 21, and 23. Oh, and are they all in circus? Yes. Eliana was the youngest ever female human cannonball and the first Jewish human cannonball that we've been able to find record of. In Ringling. Um, no, for youngest female ever on Ringling, first Jewish in the world. And I asked Dominique Jando, who's a circus historian, and he said, as far as I know, yes, it is possible during World War II that people change their heritage. Right. But as far as mm -hmm. he knows, 
she was the first Jewish because usually we're smarter than that. But she was a human cannibal. Now she does a one woman show that combines aerial artistry and hula hooping and comedy. It's hula hoops and aerial hoops and heartbreak. <laughs> and it's really good and really unique. My middle son, Keaton, graduated from a Col Nacional de Cirque mm -hmm. just this past year and is now with Circa in Australia, has a two-year contract doing multiple shows with them and touring Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. And he went to ENC for four years as a wire walker and was hired as an acrobat. And I <laughs> say, well, after these first two years, if you stay on, we'll make a wire walking show. And then my youngest son is Kellen Quinn, who's a juggler who's at ENC now. Although he just spent the summer with his, one of his many partners, because he has different partners in projects, Sereno Aguilar or Reno Izzo, because it's Sereno Izzo Aguilar, and his stage name is turning into Reno Izzo, a juggler from Mexico. And they did a juggling comedy show at my school, which if you skip way ahead, I ended up starting a circus school in St. Louis that's inside a museum unlike anything you've ever seen. And many people perform there, including Book Kennison, who yeah. was right. the person who introduced us. So where were we? But yeah, I want to hear how you got from Triploppy to starting your own circus school. And Circus Flora must be in that story somewhere, Right, too. well, Big Apple Circus. Big Apple started, and I was part of that, and it was an amazing time in American circus history. And Warren, who had been my teacher... My circus teacher at college had actually gone back on the road. He did Russian bar, flying trapeze. And I contacted him and I said, you have to come back to New York. This is the renaissance of circus in America. And he did come back and he and I put together an aerial perch act. And Karen and I put together an acrobatic comedy juggling act with Nina Krasavina and Gregory Fadin and did the first two years of Big Apple Circus when it was at Battery Park. Wow, and that little blue, it's a little blue tent, green. right? Green. It was green, and it was somehow when they ordered it, it had come wrong and it didn't fit on the masts. And it was actually Warren and Philippe Petit helped them figure out how to rig it. Oh, <laughs> and wow. There's and there's a, a documentary that you can still find online by Skip somebody called And Then we can fly or something about the first year of Big Apple Circus mm. and the whole Wasn't there a strong education online. component too to the first couple of years? Oh, it's or? interesting you should say that. So it started when when Paul and Michael, Paul Binder and Michael Christian We had him on our podcast, Paul. Started raising the money for it. It was the New York School of Circus Arts presents Big Apple Circus and the plan had been that it would be a circus school that would grow artists and for that, the show. For the show. Yeah. That it did not evolve that way. And things evolve. And it became an international mm -hmm. show that did some outreach. And to my knowledge, very, very few people came up through the program mm -hmm. and then became performers. So it's it's interesting now in this moment, which things change, that now the outreach programs are what has survived. Yeah. Um, so I was with them the first two years. And then Warren and I went on the road. Warren got a job getting shot out of a cannon for a family that did aerial thrill circus shows. And they had sons, but the oldest was scared of heights, so he didn't do any of the aerial thrill stuff. The middle son was actually too big to fit in the cannon. 
um, but still did aerial motorcycle and wheel of death and all sorts of crazy things. And the youngest son had fallen on his head too many, One too times. many times. And they said, you can't do cannon again if you hit your head again. It's... So they hired Warren. So he did cannon and we did the aerial perch act and a juggling act. And he did an upside down straight jacket escape. So toured with them, um, ended up falling from the aerial act. The perch act? The perch act. And perch, for those who don't know, is this, you're talking about the pole on, on a shoulder style no, perch? No, aerial perch is a vertical hanging pole. It hangs and there's generally cross pieces and the catcher hangs by one foot mm. and pushes the pole out of the way with his other foot and holds his partner or the apparatus or whatever. And we did hand-to-hand stuff and trapeze and helicopter spin where he spun me around by my neck. <laughs> So when I felt it was totally my fault, I stayed on the show that we were on long enough to go back in the air and do it again because that right. was important to me. And then for other reasons, we dissolved the act. And I came back to New York and still wanted to do circus. We had studied Karen and I with Nina and Gregory, and they had started their own school. They had been working for Big Apple, and they had started their own school in Hoboken, New Jersey. So I went there looking for a partner because I, I wanted, I know I, I knew that I wanted to go back up in the air. And the act that I had done with Warren was a very good act. But it was a very good act that was similar to other acts. Um, there weren't that many original moves mm-hmm. in it. In fact, the one that we did that was original, Gregory had, had shared with us. So I was looking for a partner and I'm, well, I used to be almost 5'4", which is not very tall, but I was looking for someone smaller than I was so that I could be the catcher. And I would stop people in restaurants on the streets and actually found somebody in a park who I knew, I met them through a juggler, so it wasn't a total stranger that I picked up on the street. But there were a number of people at the school from Switzerland and from Denmark and it was a really interesting school because Gregory's theory was if it has been done before, he didn't want to teach it. Mm-hmm. And he was really into creating new acts. So I, I actually started out with this woman I had found on the street, and she decided it was too much. The training was really harsh. It was Russian style in America. Mm-hmm. and So you were training a new aerial project? Uh, it was in double trapeze. Oh, double trapeze. Okay. Uh, um so I ended up, she ended up leaving, although we're still friends, and she lived in San Francisco and then England and now lives in St. Louis. Oh, cool. Um, and helped me start the Circus Harmony when I, when I started and served on the board for many years. But so I ended up with other partners at that school, uh, Kathy Hoyer and a clown named Roy Lavid, who then moved to Holland and performing... Eating fire in operas there was the last I heard, <laughs> and doing street performing. So then it was just Kathy and I, and created, we tried other partners and groups, but we ended up with a double trapeze act called Hentoff and Hoyer, the finale of which, to my knowledge, has never been duplicated, where I'm hanging from the trapeze in a flag position, and she puts a, a small ring on my heels, and then she hangs by her heels in that ring, and she lifts off one foot and touches the back of her head, and I lift off one foot. So we called it heel to heel. And I think people might be able to do that trick. They, 
what took us the longest time was figuring out how to get in and out I was of just going to say, how do you set up <laughs> yeah. for that? Yeah, and that's why it's not on YouTube. If you can figure it out, you may have a trick. <laughs> or if you're one of my students and I decide, I might give it to you, but I'm not going to give it away. That's the hardest part is getting in and out of it because Gregory felt strongly that if you're doing an aerial act, you don't go on the ground in between, mm. which some acts do. Yeah. So we had to figure it out. And it was a... A nice act. She, however, was from St. Louis and convinced me, not however, she convinced me it was a good idea to move to St. Louis. Her family was there. Her husband had gotten a job there, and we would be centrally located for touring. So I moved to St. Louis with her, um, and she made a five-year commitment to the act, and we toured. Our first job, our very first job, was with Reed Brothers Circus in Oregon. And... We had a drive across. So like a mud show country. kind of show. It was, and we got there, and it was such a beautiful image. The elephants were swimming in the ocean. Um, <laughs> a woman who became my friend, Jody Cragmile, was the elephant person there, and she took him for a swim. And it was a, a little show, and we toured all up and down the West Coast, and came back and had some other bookings. And then the the next year, we were working on a show called Circus Odyssey on the East Coast. And David Balding came to see the show. We didn't know who he was or what he was doing, but he was starting Circus Flora. Mm -hmm. And he hired our act, some clowns, and an, another aerialist horse trainer, Heidi Harriet. The clowns were Los Alarcon, to help be founding members of Circus Flora. And they opened at the Spoleto Festival in Charleston, which was amazing. So it's a tent circus but it was like a European arts festival where people came, like they go to the circus in Monte Carlo in tuxedos and gowns wow. and they yell bravo and stand up and the New York Times reviewed it. And it was such an extraordinary experience. And to be in a, a, a one ring tent that was just so elegant. So we started with them and, and Circus Floor's plan was then to open in LA and be based in LA. But right then, Cirque du Soleil opened on the Santa Monica Pier. And Circus Flora was a very traditional show. In fact, that first year, it was set in the 1800s and all the costumes and props and the music were supposed to look like 1800s and it had a single elephant, Flora the Elephant. Mm -hmm. So when Cirque du Soleil started, the L.A. people were no longer interested in a traditional show with an elephant. And they got incidentally ended up in St. Louis. Somebody from the Parks Department who knew David Balding's sister said, come here. And they, there was a park that was meant to be like a pioneer town. And they set up there. Oh, cool. And it was in a very nice part of town, Chesterfield, a place called Faust Park. Which now, sadly, it's they did do the Pioneer Town, and there's all buildings where the tent had been. But so it moved to St. Louis, and for me, that was ideal. I was already there. Plus, they asked the core performers, which was me and Kathy and Sasha Pavlada, Charlie Hortabaji, to do outreach programs in the community. So we started teaching around St. Louis, and... Kathy made, kept her five-year commitment and then said, I'm done, and left the partnership. I stayed with Circus Flora. One by one, the other teachers left. And so I was doing the teaching and organizing the school. And in 1989, we had started a troupe called the St. Louis Arches. Mm -hmm. 
because the arch and the back bends. And I didn't name it, but that, that's the name. <laughs> Jennifer Jewell made up the name. And that troupe started with 10 inner city kids from the schools we had been teaching, including three kids from a school for the deaf, because we were teaching at the public schools and there was a public school for the deaf. And those were the original arches. And I'm still in touch with some of them. In fact, we just had a reunion at Circus Flora of kids from as far back as 89. Oh, and wow. one of the very first arches serves on the board of directors of Circus Harmony, which is my current company. Was there something that was attractive to you about uh, teaching that you did you weren't getting from performing? Yes. So Circus Kingdom, I came back from that experience that summer and I went to Warren, my teacher, and I said, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. How can I repay you? And he said, I'll tell you what my teacher told me. And his teacher had been a flying trapeze artist, Faye Alexander. Warren said, pass it on. And I took that mandate. And in fact, right away, went to my old high school, Columbia Grammar and Prep School in New York, and started teaching circus classes while I was still in college. And there's something extraordinarily rewarding about passing it on. And remember my childhood hero being Peter Pan. It's like, you have the magic circus dust and you sprinkle it on kids and they get to fly. It's a great feeling. And plus I was still performing. So for me, it was ideal working for Circus Flora, performing during the season and teaching the rest of the time. And the arches grew and grew. And Circus Flora ran out of money and said, oh, we're canceling all the educational programs. And what can I do? I couldn't turn around to the kids and go, no more circus. So that's when I started my own nonprofit, which is Circus Harmony. And the arches and what, are sorry, still what, going. And what year did Circus Harmony start? So 2001. So if you ask when I started teaching in St. Louis, it was 1989. And that was the first troupe of arches. And first they performed just during the intermission. But then they got very quickly integrated in the show and actually got to perform in Spoleto. At the and now they're like a permanent festival. staple, basically, right, of the of Flora. Well, and then what happened was they, they were a permanent part of Flora, but when I started Circus Harmony and took over the entire responsibility of training and raising the money and all that, Circus Flora hired them as an act and continues mm. to do so today and has also hired other acts from Circus Harmony. The Elier duet was Eliana and her then partner, Claire Kuchecha Kernan, who's now married into the Walenda family and is one wow. of the flying Walendas. But their Lyra act in 2006, I think it was, performed at Spoleto along with the Arches. Uh, they've used Kellen Quinn as a solo artist. Uh, Sydney I. King Bateman, who's now with Seven Fingers and his partner at the time. He's in Cuisine Confessions? Yeah. yeah. So two of my students, Sydney and Melvin, but at that time, earlier, Sydney's partner was T-Rock or Terrence Robinson, who's with Circumaginaire right now, and they used their act. So Circus Flora was using acts from the school who have, the people they've used have since gone on to have very real circus careers. Have you seen Cuisine and Confessions? No, we were going to go see it when I was in Boston. Yeah. We were invited to go see it, but then we couldn't, we didn't couldn't get it. there, but I... It will be in New York, but not for a few yeah. months, but it is coming to New York. You could go to Toronto. It's oh, in perfect. Toronto next. Oh, I would love to go to Toronto. Get out, of, just get out of the city. Yeah. yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing show. I really want to see it. And it's based on the concept of what connects people is food mm -hmm. and stories about food. And so 
for all the artists in there, their acts, their scenes are introduced by their relationship with food and and their past, their childhood. So Sydney and Melvin, and it's hard for me to call him Sydney because at Circus Harmony, his name is I King. So if I go oh. back, <laughs> back and forth, that's why. But they talk about, um, Melvin talks about an omelet that his mom would make for him because he, he didn't have a dad and his siblings did and he'd be home alone and the omelet was her way of showing love, special love just for him. And Sydney talks about he had a mentor who was helping him learn to read. By They would go to rallies and eat French fries and, and read. And she made um, bread. In the show, it's become banana bread. In reality, it was monkey bread, but it's really hard to make. <laughs> and at the end of Cuisine and Confessions, you get food. And banana bread is one of the things that you can get fed after the show. It's very exciting. But the narrative of their act, their act is acrobatic hoop diving. And it's an act that they created for their graduation act from a Col Nacional de Cirque. And the story behind the act is that the hoops represent the doors they had to go through, the hoops they had to jump through to get out of St. Louis. And the narrative, that's the music for the act, the soundtrack, was an interview done with them the summer of 2014 about growing up African-American in St. Louis and waiting to be the next person shot or arrested. And that interview was done before Mike Brown was shot in Ferguson that same summer. So it's really chilling to watch that. Mm-hmm. And, they talk the about, and they talk about escaping St. Mm-hmm. Louis. And they have, and they've they've been to France and Spain and Istanbul and Russia and Argentina. And one night in the middle of the night, I get this email from a guy in Argentina saying, you don't know me, but I just saw this show. And I was watching these acrobats going, I've seen them somewhere before I've seen them. And he said, eight years ago, I was in St. Louis. I saw them at your circus. And I'm just (laughs) writing to tell you they're amazing. And congratulations to them and to you. And that was really touching. And this act is now starting the American tour that it opened in Boston. So I saw it when it premiered in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the, the American premiere in Boston. And in between, they come home and Sydney works with the current generation. Melvin, too. Melvin comes by and works with them, too. But Sydney, on a regular basis, and in fact, helped choreograph the act we did for Circus Floor this year, where Circus Flora hired Sydney and Melvin as professionals, as absolute professionals in the show. What is the mission of Circus uh, Circus Harmony? So Circus Harmony, I could... The short mission is that we help children defy gravity, soar with confidence, and leap over social barriers all at the same time. The full mission, and I quote, Circus Harmony teaches the art of life through circus education, We work to build character and expand community for youth of all ages, cultures, abilities, and backgrounds. Through teaching and performing of circus arts, we help people defy gravity, soar with confidence, and leap over social barriers all at the same time. And we're focused on children. We start as young as three, but our oldest student is 89 and does trapeze. Uh And the alchemy that happens when you step into a circus ring, you know from being in Smirkus, that feeling of being golden, mm-hmm. it it affects you whatever age you are. And we have had children, it says disabilities. In addition to the three original arches who were, were deaf, I've worked with kids who had Down syndrome, numerous kids on the autism spectrum. We've had two students who had no legs. 
um, students with no fingers, because circus, there's really a place for everyone. And I say that as a circus teacher, there's a place for everyone because of all the genres. And you might not be able to to tumble really well, but you can juggle or you have good balance and you can walk wire, where this is where being a class clown is a good thing. But it's also, you can find something that you are able to do. And we focus on people's strengths and abilities rather than anything that they can't do. Right, or that would keep them from doing something. And actually, I'm really proud this year, a young man who was with us for many years who is on the autism spectrum has his first professional job. Liam Halstead is performing with the Zope Family Circus right now, touring on the West Coast, and he does cigar boxes and unicycles. Oh, fantastic. And he said to me, because they, they were in St. Louis, and when they're in St. Louis, they also book the arches. But Liam said, remember I used to cry all the time. Things would set him off emotionally. He said, I don't do that anymore because I learned the secret of life. I'm like, Liam, tell the me. secret of life? <laughs> yeah, 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 tell me. <laughs> sure, sure. And he said, I want to perform so much that that's more important to me than those other things. That's true. Yeah. Setting yeah. priorities is the secret of life. Yeah. Go Liam. Well, we always talk about smirkus and, and circus versus theater because I grew up doing theater, which I think really hurt my self-esteem for a lot of years and kind of made me feel like I wasn't good enough or, you know. I've heard that from a lot of people. Well, it's because it's competitive theater. in a way that circus isn't. You know, it's tangible. Circus is tangible. You you can juggle eight balls. You can juggle right. two, you know, and you know where you stand and in and in theater, it's kind of like, okay, well, I like you. And I like, I, I, I'm attracted to your performing style. But that's, you know. Right. It's so and specific. you're competing for the same roles. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not really, I mean. It's it, much more surface. It is. It's much more surface. It's less um, racially diverse and ethnically diverse. and all. I mean, it's just, it's very, it's like, this is the role. And this is what we want you to fit, fit it in. or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And what I love about, I mean, since I met Josh, I literally go to try to go to everything and we read articles and, you know, and I'm just like, I, I feel like I should have been in circus my entire life. And what I love about it is the fact that you go see a show and you see so many different types of people because it's not, it doesn't matter what you look like. It's just like the and that's what you do teach. That's the whole point of Circus Harmony. It doesn't matter race, religion, neighborhood, socioeconomic background. In St. Louis, the big thing is what school do you go to? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your parents do if you have parents. What do you do? Yeah. When you get in the ring, what do you bring? Can you talk about the challenges of running a nonprofit circus organization? <laughs> yeah. Um, heaven help you if you sit next to me anywhere because I will be begging you for money. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting in the country. The good news and the bad news is that we have this, this culture of giving. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided, when I had to take over the arches to keep them going, I started a nonprofit, which I didn't want to do because I hate meetings work. and I hate paperwork and it's all about meetings and paperwork. Mm-hmm. And begging, whereas if you're a sports team, you have more money than you know what to do with, but that that's the way it is here. On the other hand, there are countries like Israel where there's not a big culture of donating. So in that way, we're good. But the challenge is that a, a lot of my time is spent writing grants, which you don't always get, but you keep applying, and they're very time-consuming, and trying to find different ways to fund, trying to find sponsors, 
I'm proud to say that Circus Harmony is 65% earned income, oh, which wow. is pretty good that for is, a nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, My whole background is nonprofit theater and fundraising specifically. So I, I feel you are your <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and and yet it's it's kind of never enough and you always want to do more because right. you always want to do more. Uh, there's a piece of apparatus I want, it's two thousand dollars. Well, it's not in the budget this right. year. Kind of raise well, that. Yeah. What's this um Israeli partnership that you've mentioned a few times? So in two thousand six, I guess, I got an email from a an American rabbi who lived in Israel saying he was starting a social circus there. He was part of the Galilee Foundation for Value Education that looked for ways to bring Jews and Arabs together in Israel. And what they decided to do for children was circus. Interestingly, they had started to do it with theater and changed to circus because they felt circus was not using words, was about overcoming fear, Mm -hmm. and was about laughter and joy and trust and so they started circus and he'd just been looking on the internet social circuses and came upon circus harmony did not know that one of our first projects as a nonprofit had been to bring together uh, jewish and muslim children to work together in a circus circus salam shalom but so we started talking or emailing back and forth and he's like this sounds great would you like to bring some of your kids to israel no, it's dangerous in Israel, was my initial response. And at that point, that woman who I said who's 89 was 70 and was working on an aerial act for her 70th birthday. She had come to me. She had run away. Sorry to go off on tangents, no, but it's my great. life is a lot of tangents. <laughs> this woman, Elizabeth Bunny Herring, had been a debutante in St. Louis and run off and joined the circus, really, when she was 19 became a chorus girl on Ringling, but the chorus girls did aerial work and horses and all this stuff. Her parents went after her to get her back, and the ballet master at the time was in charge of the chorus girls, talked them into letting her stay, but the deal was that she wouldn't do aerial. So she did horses racing around the track. <laughs> like that's so much safer. Yeah, right? She did elephants hanging from one leg in an elephant's mouth. She was the one on the ground and the elephant's foot would be like over her face. She came to me when she was 69 and she said, um, well, I promised my parents I wouldn't do Ariel, but they're gone now. <laughs> do you think it's too late? So for her birthday, she did an oh, Ariel act. She did Lyra. And the, she'd stayed in shape through ballet. And the only real problem with her doing Lyra is the spin at the end, her hearing aid would inevitably go flying. <laughs> but, but nothing else flew off. That's not a very common problem, I don't think. No. And she was also, she, she also teaches... Shakespeare in prisons for a nonprofit called uh, Prison Performing Arts. Run now it is run by a young man who had gone to theater at Purchase, but said taking circus classes changed his life. But, <laughs> wow! So she did for her birthday. She did it as a benefit, and you had to come dressed up as a circus person, a Shakespearean person, or a cowboy because her husband had been a cowboy. And she raised money and split it between us and Prison Performing Arts for her ninetieth. Um, so she's been doing trapeze more recently, and for her 90s, she wants to resurrect the Lyra Act. So come in October, my God, and she'll be doing Lyra. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the secret is being active. Yeah, really stay active, physically active. So where were we? I get so lost. The, how you made the Israeli connection? So before you, you think it's dangerous? I was working with um, Bunny, her nickname, and she has a tattoo in Latin on her ankle that says. 
I can't say it in Latin, but in English it translates to be rather than to seem. And they had the very first social circus conference run by the American East Circus Organization in Chicago. And I went up to that, and I was one of the speakers, and it was a really amazing conference. And I came back, and I got an email from the rabbi going, I understand you think it's too dangerous. Well, do you know anybody else with maybe 10 kids of mixed backgrounds who would come? Well, I'm thinking that, and the conference I had just spoken at, and Bunny's tattoo, and I'm like, we'll come. So we did. We went in 2007 for the first time, and it was a phenomenal experience. And and as dangerous as you think it would be. No, and in fact, at that point, when I would come to New York to visit my family, there was, to me, a greater military presence in New York mm-hmm. than, than I felt in Israel. And the experience was so profound for so many of their kids and our kids, including Sydney, who's now touring with Cuisine and Confessions, who had come from one of the worst neighborhoods and was one of the most homesick, would eat nothing, nothing but protein bars that another boy had bought, would not try schnitzel, which is, it's right. chicken. chicken. It's like chicken nuggets. It's fried chicken in a circle. And that's yeah. what I said. He, he said, I don't eat chicken in a circle. I said, you eat chicken McNuggets. It's barely chicken. Right. But he, he wouldn't. Um, and in fact, a movie was made about that first year called Circus Kids. You can get it at circusharmony.org. The woman who made the movie had been a, a rigger and a tent person on Big Apple Circus. And she had come to Circus Florida to do a movie about something else, heard we were going to Israel, followed us to Israel, made this oh, cool. really, really nice movie. So we went in 2007. They came to America in 2008. Talk about raising money. It's so expensive to raise money that we started doing it every other year. And we've done it every other year since. They were just here. A woman named Cynthia Levinson wrote a very powerful book about it called Watch Out for Flying Kids that was featured at the Library of Congress's National Book Festival. And you can get on our website. And proceeds from the purchase of the book go to support our Flying Children's Scholarship Fund if you buy them through us. And just wherever you buy it, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, don't forget to use the heart thing and make Circus Harmony your your heart. Your Amazon charity um, setting. But purchase from of every purchase from the book, a portion goes to the Galilee Circus, our partners in Israel, and our Reggie Moore Memorial Fund, which is a student of ours who passed away in an untimely auto accident. And the group in Israel, which they started the Galilee Circus, is a Jewish Arab youth circus. And ours is kids from all over different neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and backgrounds. And they get together every two years and create a show. They just created a beautiful show. I just put, uh, I believe all of them are up now, videos up on Circus Harmony's YouTube page. So it's Galilee Arches 2016. You can see the acts. And they're entirely kid-created in three languages. So they're working together in English, Hebrew, and Arabic, and very few of them speak all all three. Actually, just a couple of the... It's usually the Arab kids who have the best command of the three mm-hmm. languages. And we tore around. The first year that we were in Israel, we went... We got funded partially by Circus Remedy, which is a lovely organization that uses circus to heal children. So we were performing in a home for children and people with cerebral palsy. And I felt so strongly this connection to Reverend Dave and the Circus Kingdom and that I was continuing his work by taking a show mm-hmm. there to these people who couldn't come to us. And 
and how that impacted our children. Mm-hmm. So I was just very grateful to be able to do that and pass it on, as Warren had asked. And now my students are, are passing it on. Our best teachers are actually people like Eliana and Sydney who came up through our program, but other students of ours have taught numerous other places. <laughs> um, so we often wrap up with the same question, which is who do you think would make a good interview guest from the circus community? Wow. The people that initially come to mind, I'm sad, are gone off this planet. So you're right, you should interview people right away, right mm-hmm. away. Have you had Michael Motion? Would he come? I we haven't had Michael Motion. And I don't know if he would. And because he lectures now on the creative process and it's really fascinating. Karen Gersh, if you can add a, a visual element, be, my old partner, she also does circus art and she has beautiful oh, yeah. art pieces and exhibits. And she did an, she curated an exhibit called Of Gravity and Grace. That was her artwork, Michael Motion's, Philippe Petit's line drawings of cable and some other circus artists which was was really cool um richard if you want to talk about juggling my son kellen if he'll come on because he has some very strong theories about (laughs) juggling and performance and he's currently a student at the nc he he is currently a student at the nc um have i king sydney i king bateman so when they're here yeah see if he'll come in and talk awesome because his journey, everybody's journey to the circus is different. Yeah. Um, I started to listen to the podcast and then I was like, nope, maybe I should wait till I do one. But I listened to Salams, you oh, know, yeah. and there's so many paths I know. that lead to That's the what's circus. fun about for us. I mean, I love hearing about different people's experiences with it and what kind of like hooked them. Uh, and everyone's is totally different. And, and also the whole circus concept when you say see you down the road it's because it's it's like a river and you branches out and comes in and you don't work with someone you do gypsy and shana were on circus flora when eliana was a baby (laughs) and i remember that we We interviewed jack marsh yeah and jack Mm -hmm. was a baby 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 so funny and then our wedding photographer his first ever editorial was for circus flora and he has photos of jack when he's like six and he was like, this I is love. so what crazy. Was his name, his name is, is um, John name? Dolan. So, so cool. he's, yeah. but he he's primarily in the Berkshires in New York. And, you know, when, when we I used to him, run a circus camp in the Berkshires. Really? Pittsfield oh Berkshire Community Circus. Uh, so that's Josh's dream folded. to move to the Berkshires. Well, it yeah. folded. And the, the man who had brought me there, who found me through Reverend Dave, had just died this year. But... Why not? It was very successful and it lasted for many years. They held it at Berkshire Community College mm. and then some other big camp conglomerate mm. kind of took over the camps there. But there are certainly people up there. You look at how many circus schools of all different kinds and sizes and ways and and philosophies are popping up everywhere. So people should look at American Youth Circus Organization and American Circus Educators, which their conferences this year in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, we're having um, yeah. Amy. Amy, Amy from Amy. Yeah, she's coming on mm-hmm. at some point on the podcast. And there's also Circus for Youth, which is a website that focuses on youth circus, but it's amazing how much it is, and all over the world. Mm-hmm. Really, because you can do a podcast with people from oh, yeah. anywhere. Uh, and now that Keaton's in Australia, I, 
somebody wrote to me from Australia. I was just at a conference, speaking at a conference in Montreal on circus and its others. So social circus, but also freaks and just other aspects of circus. And there were a number of really interesting people at that conference. Yeah. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Yeah, thank you for yes. having me. Thank you for great. having this podcast. Now I'm going to go listen <laughs> to binge listening to all of them. That was our interview with Jessica Hentoff. Hope you liked the episode. And if you did, make sure to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, review us on iTunes. Subscribe to our email list. Subscribe to our email. There's so many ways you can keep in touch with us. Uh, I feel bad at making all these asks, but some people do all of them. And those people we love. (laughs) We love you. So uh, hopefully you have a great week. And it's a short week because today was a holiday. Yeah, easy peasy. Yeah.